This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. The Gateless Barrier, Case 47, to Shuai's Three Barriers. The priest, to Shuai, set up three barriers in order to examine his students. You make your way through the darkness of abandoned grasses in a single-minded search for your self-nature. Now, honored one, where is your self-nature? When you have realized your self-nature, you are free of birth and death. When the light of your eyes falls, how are you free? When you are free of birth and death, you know where to go. When your four elements scatter, where do you go? Woman's Comment If you can rightly give the three turning words here, you will be master in all the varied circumstances and will deal with your affinities in accord with the Buddha Dharma. If you have not yet resolved the matter, the food you bolt down won't sustain you. Chew it well, you won't be hungry. Woman's verse. One then sees eternity. Eternity is equal to now. You see through this one then. You see through the one who sees. I will just take up the first of these three barriers, uh, the one concerning our true nature. You make your way through the darkness of abandoned grasses in a single-minded search for your self-nature. Now, honored one, where is your nature? The darkness of abandoned grasses we're making our way through is also known as our ordinary mind. It's what we come to practice, to come to terms with. We come to practice because we're entangled in our own mind in those abandoned grasses. Abandoned grasses, sort of, I guess, giving the uh, image of something wild and unkempt, right? I suppose in uh, contrast to a nice, well-raked, well-trimmed Japanese garden, right? That's what our mind is supposed to look like, right? How's that working so far? (laughs) 
So in this first barrier, he sets up this dichotomy between those unruly abandoned grasses that we have to search through. We have to somehow disentangle, dig through, find our way, till we find our true nature, our self-nature. Now, there's certain assumptions built into the question. One is that the self-nature is something hidden that we have to go looking for. That whatever it is is distinct from these abandoned grasses is somehow going to be uncovered only as the result of a diligent, disciplined search. It presumes there is such a thing, that there's such a thing to find, that it's deep inside, hidden. We've got to uncover it. In psychoanalysis, um, sometimes we talk about true nature or true self as opposed to a false self. The idea of a false self uh, was popularized by an analyst named Winnicott, British analyst who... um, Mostly was famous for treating children, adolescents, delinquents. Uh, he grew up, you know, in a typically straight-laced kind of way, and I think he had a particular fondness, if not envy, for delinquents who were freer and broke the rules in a way he couldn't when he was growing up. For Winnicott, a false self was. Um, particularly that kind of accommodating, compliant self that you imagine a child has to put on when talking to the teacher or the headmaster or his parents, right? There's a kind of um, good boy compliance there. Uh, And the the real kid is, you know, what happens outside of school, down the alleyway, right? And the challenge in uh, therapy was to find a way to get these two halves together so that when somebody's uh, got tired of being uh, compliant and false, this wasn't just considered pathology, but some attempt to free up uh, the real, you know, the real kid inside that was creative and playful and rebellious and all the things a kid is supposed to be other than compliant, right? And there certainly can be an analogy in Japanese Zen practice where there's an enormous emphasis on doing everything just the way it's supposed to be. And that first you have to learn to do things meticulously, and then you have to go into the Dokusan room and figure out how to actually be free in there after having done everything so carefully and properly. 
after all these years of training. In Zen or in Buddhism in general, false self is something of an oxymoron, uh, a redundancy, not an oxymoron. It's redundant, false self, right? I mean, just self, it's self is false, and there's no real essence to it. Huh? So, what would it mean to find your true self? See, one of the ways we often think about things is that there's a kind of, like in the Winnicottian false self, a kind of uh, outward facade of appearance behind which there's reality. But if the self has no fixed essential nature, if nothing has any fixed essential nature, there is no reality behind the scene of appearances. The appearances which are ephemeral are as real as it gets. There's nothing behind the curtain. Often, there's the image uh, you come across of, um, I don't know where it comes from originally, but they say, uh, don't mistake the moon for the finger pointing at the moon. The moon being some symbol of the real thing, enlightenment. And the finger is what? Our ideas about it, our conceptions, stories we tell, enlightenment stories, koans we read, our fingers pointing at something we have to see for ourselves. Well, interestingly, this koan sort of tells you uh, the the exact opposite. Um, Forget about the moon, pay attention to the finger. Stop looking past your finger, thinking that there's something up in the sky. Look at the finger. (laughs) It doesn't get any more real than the finger, right? You think you've got to hunt through all these wild grasses for something underneath them all. Pay attention to the grasses. Now, a big problem that happens to people in this business is that they will, uh, after they've sat for a while, they'll have some experience of uh, clarity where their mind will suddenly, or maybe gradually, become very free of thought, just completely wide open, transparent. Sometimes that's feels very nice. And when people have that kind of experience, even sometimes just in a small way, feeling like they've had a sitting where suddenly all their things that were troubling them have gone away, or sometimes in a big way where they've got this big moment of what seems like realization. And they think that moment is seeing their true nature. 
and they say, well, that's what it's supposed to be like. Right? That's what my mind is supposed to feel like. That's it. That clarity. And pretty much, I would say, most students, but I really think the majority of people get stuck at that level pretty much permanently, if they're lucky enough to get there <laughs> in the first place. Um, because they get stuck with a sense of there's this clarity that I want to achieve, but then it goes away, and they try to get it back. And then it, they get it back for a little while, and it goes away again. And their practice pretty much for the rest of their life can be stuck on this plateau of sort of getting it and losing it and trying to hold on to it and always feeling like it's never really stayed. You know, I, I, I got a glimpse of it, uh, but I couldn't hold on to it and uh, I really hope I get it again and if I sit a lot, maybe it'll come back more. And that whole cycle, right? Uh, and their practice becomes something that is um, forever tantalizing. Something they've, they've had a little taste, but things are endlessly out of reach. And, and uh, they feel like they never really got it. Right? See, what happens is that that In that moment, they've uh, got a glimpse of the moon, but they've uh, forgotten their finger. Uh, They've created instead this big new kind of dichotomy or dualism. Uh, Something has to happen in practice where you just slip across a certain edge into seeing all the wild grasses of the mind in a different light, I suppose. Right? Uh, maybe that's what happens when you, you see them by moonlight. Right? They're all there. None, none of the, and that may be the thing that we, we don't quite get or believe. Uh, the grasses never go away. We don't clear out the field. We don't manicure our mind and turn it into this well-raked, well-trimmed moss garden. And we're not doing this so that we can just stare gaga at the moon all day and night, right? But there is something about seeing all those wild grasses by moonlight by seeing our mind in the light of a kind of perfect, uh, perspective um, that reveals its perfection just as it is. Not something to remove. Not something to change. Right? And unless we get some feeling for that perspective, which I, you know, sum up as no gain, uh, we're endlessly in pursuit of something that's uh, always out of reach. 
Now, for this koan, uh, it's sort of a joke, you know, like most of them. Uh, it's a barrier until you get it, and then it's just, it just can seem silly. Uh, but he asks you, in the midst of looking through all that mess, where is your true nature? Right? Stay right in the question. Right? Don't go looking somewhere else for it. Stay right in the question itself. If you can do that, then the second bat tooth uh, uh, and third barriers will just be completely obvious as well. In that moment when the light falls from your eyes, where's your true nature? After the four elements decompose, where will you go? It's the same question posed in three different uh, forms. Don't be blinded by the moon. Stay with your fingers. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.